Bob Wolf, and welcome to episode number 69 of Unformidable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded myths in our beloved franchise's quirky history, as to us, every player who dons the orange and blue is, in some way, unformidable. So we've made it to the nicest edition of the podcast, as it were. 69 is, of course, a very special number in particular for Met fans because it marks the year of our first world championship, of course. Now, much like the 1986 Mets, of course, it's hard to find an appropriately obscure or forgotten Miracle Met. I mean, when you've collectively sang You've Gotta Have Heart as a group for Ed Sullivan, you're all kind of immortally famous in baseball or Met fan terms. Like the 86 team for a championship star fan base, the 69 team has been lauded and feted and covered extensively. So today I thought we would look back here in Unformidable number 69 at a player who just missed taking part in that celebration and that sing-along. And rather than being a piece and a name in that New York baseball immortality is more of a footnote to it but an important one at that for, as Kevin Collins himself put it, when people say I wasn't an important part of the 1969 Mets, I tell them, are you kidding? They wouldn't have gotten Don Clendenin without me. I was very important. One of four players that would get shipped to the expansion Montreal Expos for what would wind up being renowned and considered uh, looking back at the season when it was done, the final piece of the shocking Miracle Championship puzzle, the eventual 1969 World Series MVP Don Clendenin, Kevin Collins, before getting traded, virtually grew up in the Mets organization. Kevin Michael Collins was born on August 4th, 1946, in Springfield, Massachusetts. He was with that birth date, uh, he was generally a year ahead of his grade in school, a year young, yet he often played an age level ahead in sports. I, I'm constantly saying, you know, he was an athletic marvel for what, when I'm recounting these people's young lives. I mean, I guess it makes sense. Uh, they're all turning into professional athletes, but uh, Kevin Collins was no exception. In high school, he was all city in basketball. He played halfback in football but excelled the most at baseball. He was a left-handed hitting shortstop who led his team to two Western Massachusetts championships. Uh, He was, well, not exactly a baseball hotbed. He did compete against other future major leaguers, such as Mark Belanger and Fran Healy. If only he could have somehow derailed Fran Healy's future announcing career. That would have made me a much happier Met fan, at least. Collins was good enough to have colleges offering him baseball scholarships and pro teams chasing after him, in which, interestingly, and what figures into the way his career developed, I believe was the last year before uh, the amateur draft was installed. But at any rate, at the tender age of 17, Collins decided to accept the Mets' offer of a $25,000 signing bonus to make a go of it as a major leaguer. So at age 17, in the summer of 64, Collins was off to Florida and the Rookie League, where he appeared in only 44 games, batting a modest 220, uh, but nevertheless was added to the 
young Met franchise 40-man roster, joining another 64 addition to the franchise, Ron Swoboda, as well as his rookie league roommate, Tug McGraw, as additions to the 40-man. Again, I don't entirely know the vagaries of it, but uh, I think this was in large part due to the waiver system uh, for young and minor league players that would wind up getting uh, changed shortly after 64. But beyond that structure, there's also the fact that, as I think we've covered in other unformidable podcasts on mid-late 60s Mets, there was, of course, a lot of opportunity for younger players after the Mets went heavy on big, more washed-up names in the expansion draft when the franchise began in 62. Speaking of big names past their prime, Casey Stengel referred to these young Mets as the Youth of America. Between the obvious dearth of talent on the Major League roster and the aforementioned uh, older draft and waiver rules, which kind of encourage teams to carry first-year players rather than risk losing them, uh, the Mets 1965 opening day roster included Kevin Collins, an 18-year-old reserve infielder, as well as Tug McGraw at the age of 20. Unlike McGraw, who did struggle mightily himself, 65, 66, 67, Collins would never really recover, I think, from the development period getting getting dramatically shoved forward. But uh, before we get to that, Collins was scheduled to make his Major League debut on April 25th, 1965. Casey Stengel penciled it into the lineup to start at short in the second game of a doubleheader in San Francisco, but warming up between games, he felt uh, felt an injury, felt a pain in his shoulder that would turn out to be a, a tear of a lat. Uh, this would require surgery and delay his Major League debut by more than four months. That Major League debut would come on September 1st of 1965 against the Astros at Shea. Collins would pinch it for pitcher Rob Gardner in the bottom of the third inning. Uh, the Mets were down 7-1, hence the early hook. He would strike out in his first major league at bat, uh, stay in the game on a double switch, and had a difficult debut, as you can imagine, for an 18-year-old in the majors. Or I guess he'd probably turned 19 a little before his debut. His birthday was in August, but he went 0-4, striking out twice, uh, grounding back to the pitcher, and grounding out to second. And over sporadic appearances, appearances in September of 65, he would wind up going 4 for 23, recording his first career hit with a single up the middle off of the Pirates' Bob Friend, which came on September 22nd of 1965 in his eighth major league at bat. On October 3rd of 65, in his uh, third career start in the I think next-to-last game of the season, he uh, went two for three with a double uh, his, in, his, in his third career start, a game which uh, was most notable for Al Jackson recording his 20th loss of the season that year, uh, when, which, of course, he pitched well in a 3-1 to one loss to the Phillies. But one, one successful game aside, he was pretty clearly overmatched with a consensus, and even according to him himself in interviews after his career, Collins said, you know, acknowledged I never should have been up in the majors, probably the wrong thing for my development, but those were the rules at the time, he said, alluding to the 
uh, the waiver rules, and again, as I said, I, the amateur draft started uh, the following year, so poor timing probably for Collins in, in forcing his career to start at a major league level sooner than it needed to. And he would, in fact, segue to that development phase of his career in 66. He would spend that entire season in the minor leagues. Uh, he would also miss more time, this time with a concussion when he got hit by a thrown ball uh, in the beginning of the season. Uh, and he also struggled as the organization attempted to convert him to switch hitting, uh, tried to get him to learn to hit right-handed to improve his appearance, uh, improve his uh, performance against lefties, of course. By 1967, Collins was still in the minors, but you know, again, he was a pretty well-regarded prospect. They kept him on the major league roster at the age of 18 uh, to hold on to him, but he had been kind of passed by others in the organization, and an organization that was starting to finally churn out talent. Uh, Buddy Harrelson was settling in at shortstop as a rookie, and also in AAA with Collins were two infielders who would go on to have long major league careers, uh, sadly not with the Mets, uh, Sandy Alomar and Amos Otis. And I think both of them were on the rise where Collins was not. So uh, whereas he had mostly played uh, short and some third, uh, he began in AAA to transition to the utility infield role that he would be known, more known for as a major leaguer. In, 67, in 67 in AAA, he's, he spent his time across the infield, uh, 40 games at shortstop, 50 at second base, 24 at third base. Got called up at the very end of September, uh, appeared in four games, two pinch hitting appearances, and two starts at second base, going one for 10. At the ripe old age of 21, Collins would begin 1968 in AAA, uh, but got recalled in I think May, when Bud Harrelson had to report for military duty. And he had a few memorable games. Uh, the one that I personally find most interesting, and probably was his most productive day as a major leaguer, or at least in the at least with the Mets organization, I would say, was on June 15th of 1968. Uh, given both the productivity and the competition, Collins went 3-for-3 three three with three doubles against Giants ace Juan Marichal. And this was an extraordinary game that I just have to uh, discuss a bit, just looking at the box scores. As Marichal was matched up against Tom Seaver, who shut the Giants down in the top of the first, uh, the only base runner uh, was on an error. And then the Mets jumped on Marichal in the bottom of the first, batted around, uh, and again with the inning capped with a Collins double over the center fielder's head to stake the Mets to a three nothing stake the Mets and Seaver of course to a three nothing lead at Shea. You feel pretty good about that with your ace on the hill, but of course that was a Giants team with a lot of offense, and they got to Seaver with the score four one going into the top of the fifth. The Giants knocked Seaver from the game. Uh, three straight singles with uh, Willie Mays, a Willie Mays single cutting the score to 4-2, and then Willie McCovey taking Seaver out to dead center in City Field to give the Giants and Marichal a 5-4 lead. Seaver would get relieved by Cal Kuntz, uh, who would get out of the fifth, and the Mets would promptly tie the game off Marichal in the bottom of the fifth uh, with two outs. Collins would get that third double, and would get singled home by Tommy Agee to tie the game. 
I'm going to have to guess Collins got banged up scoring that run. I don't know if there was play at the plate. I couldn't find any information on it. Uh, but he scored the tying run and in the bottom of the fifth and came out of the game in the top of the sixth with Ed Charles replacing him at third base. So he was unable to continue terrorizing Juan Marichal. Marichal was nonplussed, both uh, in giving up five runs in five innings. Uh, didn't affect his pitching. Well or his hitting. He let off the top of the sixth. Uh, that's something you wouldn't see every day after your pitcher had given up five runs. He drew a walk and event- scored what would be the eventual winning run as the Giants went back ahead 6-5. Marichal would pitch around trouble from the sixth to the ninth, completing the Giants' 9-5 victory. Just your routine 16-hit complete game as his line score in in the game, nine innings pitched, 16 hits, five runs, four earned, one walk, seven strikeouts. I'm going to take a long shot and guess you're never going to see a line score like that from a major league pitcher again. Certainly not in my lifetime, or probably any of yours. I wish they had a pitch count in baseball reference box scores. I would, I would love to know how many pitches it took him to complete that game. Perhaps he never would have completed it if Kevin Collins wasn't, uh, didn't have to be removed from the game. At any rate, uh, Collins had shown enough that uh, well, the plan was to send him back down when the, they got Harrelson back. Uh, instead, a pitcher and I believe past unformidable. Uh, character Greg Goosen was sent down in instead and Collins stayed up at the major league level and that would give Collins time for what would probably be the two most eventful days in his Met career in early August at the Astrodome. On August 6th of 1968 uh, in a 1-1 game in the ninth against Houston Collins came up with two on and two out and lofted a home run down the right field line to stake the Mets to a 4-1 lead that they would hold on to in the bottom of the ninth, making his first career home run a virtual game winner and not a walk-off solely by virtue of being on the road. He actually drove in all four Met runs in that game. He, He got the other RBI on an RBI ground out in the seventh. The next day, Collins got a second straight start at third base, and this time... It was less of a positive day for him. In the bottom of the fourth inning, with the Astros up 2-1, to one, Doug Rader uh, drove one to left center off of Tom Seaver, and eventually went for a triple. Uh, Rader slide, slid into third with a hard pop-up slide, and as he came up, elbowed Collins in the jaws. He was trying to apply the tag. Uh, Collins was knocked back onto his back, dazed, uh, possibly concussed again, and a bench-clearing brawl ensued. Collins shockingly missed only a week of play with the broken jaw. Uh, he was back on the field six days later, and he uh, you know, said he had no poor feelings about it, that it was just a hard baseball play, as I guess uh, just about everybody said back in those days, although speculation was that, uh, you know, the, the, that there might have been some intent, maybe not personally to Collins, but uh, that there was a feeling that earlier in the season, Tommy Agee had injured Joe Morgan uh, with a hard takeout slide at second base, and that there might have been some retaliation there uh, in Raiders' slide. 
Much like in the Marichal game, Collins was replaced at third base by Ed Charles, and that would kind of be a theme as Collins would be replaced by Charles, or you know, I guess that was more of a potential platoon, but uh, he would you know, definitely lose any hope of a third base job to Charles and eventually Wayne Garrett in 1969. And third base was an open question for the 1969 Mets. I mean, it was basically an open question in the Mets organization most years until number five came along. But, uh, you know, uh, Otis, uh, Ed Charles was going to be a third, and, you know, Gil Hodges or a lot of platoons on that 69 team. So the team wanted someone who could platoon or split time with the veteran Charles at third. Amos Otis got the first crack, but struggled and also got on Gil Hodges' bad side. Uh, one of the rare, perhaps, Gil Hodges' misjudgments as Otis uh, was soon out of the Mets organization and, of course, went on to a haul of very good career in, you know, one of those. I think underrated, horrible Mets trades. But Otis got banished quickly, so Collins got the next shot to play alongside Charles at third in April. And his first two starts, he had actually had a couple of decent games. In uh, On April 19th, he made his first start of the 69 season against the Cardinals at Bush Stadium. Uh, nothing, nothing, nothing not to like about a Tom Seaver-Bob Gibson matchup. And uh, Collins went two for four off of Gibson, including a double in a game that the Mets would win two to one as both pitchers would go the distance and Seaver would outduel Gibson. The next day, again against the Cardinals, uh, Collins would hit his second and what will turn out to be his final career home run as a Met in an 11-3 Met victory in his second straight start. However, just when it looked like he might run with an opportunity, he unfortunately would go three for his next 28, on which leads us to May 4th, 1969. Collins went 0 for 2 uh, in, a, in a start that he had, uh, dropping his average on the season to 150. In his second at-bat at that game, he struck out looking against Bill Hands. Uh, the Mets held a tight 3-2 lead later in the game, so Charles came in and pinch hit for Collins. And little did he know, he had that that strikeout looking was it would wind up being his final at bat as a Met. Uh, Seaver would go the distance again. Uh, the 69 Mets would increase their record to 10 and 14. People probably thought they were a cute little team that maybe could make a run at 500 that year. Uh, but Collins, uh, the next day, would be sent down to AAA as Wayne Garrett would get called up and, of course, would wind up taking that opportunity and running with it at 69 and sharing the job with Ed Charles. Obviously, it was just a motion and, you know, it wasn't like he was traded yet, but I think in a lovely show of, you know, the kind of person it seems like Collins was, he left notes uh, at, for Ken Boswell, who was his roommate, and also a note for Art Shamsky, who inherited his locker and basically like his utility infield job, encouraging them, uh, you know, and wishing them well. Collins probably thought and hoped he'd be back up in that locker room with the Mets. But a month later, on June 15th, with that earlier trade deadline, the surprising young Mets were 30 and 26. 
nine games behind the Chicago Cubs, who were astounding 41-19 and 19 at that point, but obviously competitive and growing, and the team decided to bring in a veteran first baseman and a power-hitting bat to supplement their offense and help out their incredibly talented young pitching staff. And so it was Collins, along with Steve Renko, Jay Carden, and David Cologne, who would go to the Expos for Don Clendenin. Renko is an interesting story, too, and I, I was looking at both of them for this podcast, and I, I think he's someone I'll probably discuss sometime soon as well. He had a interesting career, although he, he, was in, he never played for the Mets in the majors. Uh, but Renko is probably the most productive player the Expos acquired in that trade, although Collins did st- go into their or go up to the majors with them and spend the 69 season with them. Collins took on that utility role that the Mets once prepared him for with the Expos uh, and spent the 69 season with them. He said he learned a lot from Expos manager Gene Mock, uh, and he did uh, as a little footnote for the Expos franchise, and I only refer to them as the Expos franchise. I refuse to think of other spots they've been in. Uh, he hit the Expos' first ever pinch hit home run off of Jim Bunning on July 17th of 1969. Cullen spent uh, 70 in the minors for Montreal until the Expos sold his contract to the Detroit Tigers uh, at late in the 1970 season. Collins had sporadic playing time for the Tigers in 70 and 71, spending most of those seasons in the in AAA as well, getting in 60 games across the two seasons. Uh, and again, in the obvious caveat of the short sample size, perhaps having his most productive little spurt in 71 in 41 at-bats, he hit 268, uh, slugged 438 at a 7.07 OPS, which was the highest... Uh, line that he had by a long shot in any season of his career. Again, uh, small little seasons. The most at-bats he had in a single year were 154 with the 68 Mets. Although one other nice and interesting anecdote about Collins that I I read uh, in a great Sabre article about him uh, that helped with this is uh, uh, one of the more notable things about his career in 71 that uh, was made the media and the sporting news was that he, when he was with the Tigers, he roomed with outfielder Gates Brown, which, you know, in that 1970-71 era was a rare uh, pairing of uh, white and black players as roommates, but which Collins, uh, to his credit, uh, thought it was not a notable thing. Scott Collins stayed in the Tigers organization in 72-73, and was uh, never got above AAA Toledo, uh, got traded to the Indians organization, uh, where he spent 73 and 74 in AAA, uh, when at the age of 27, he decided to hang it up, essentially saying in an interview he had had enough, he did not want to be Crash Davis. Although, no disrespect to Collins, but I don't think he was going to set a minor league home run record either, but uh, I get the sentiment. The Indians offered Collins an opportunity to stay in the organization as a coach or as a scout, but he just decided to retire from baseball entirely in 1974. He and his family moved to Michigan, where he took a job with an auto supply store uh, owned or run by a former Tigers teammate, 
and he lived most of his life in Michigan uh, before moving down to Florida, where he passed away on February 20th of 2016 in Naples, Florida. Over parts of six major league seasons, Collins had 388 major league at-bats. He hit six home runs, uh, went 81 for 388, uh, six homers, 34 RBIs, 30 runs scored, one stolen base, a 245, uh, no, 209 batting average, I'm sorry, 209 batting average, 245 on base, 320 slugging for a 565 OPS, 62 OPS plus, and a negative 9 war, according to baseball reference. As a very young Met over four parts of four seasons, uh, he was in 89 games, uh, two homers, I think I kind of covered them both, 15 RBIs, uh, 42 for 227, a 185, 221, 269, 490 slash line. Perhaps he got cheated a bit by the way his the development of his career was kind of forced and thrust upon him by baseball's rules at the time, and having started in the majors at such a young age, but certainly not something that he ever seemed to let bother him personally. And in addition to a couple of memorable Met moments, he was a key piece in one of the more memorable and most positive trades in Mets history. That brought the team Don Clendenin and eventually helped the team bring the 1969 World Championship to New York. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can find this and all of our Amazon pods wherever you get your podcasts. Please, leave, please subscribe to them if possible. Leave us a review. It helps us out. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, W-O-L-F-F-R-R. And the show is at Unformidable. Thank you, and as always...